verse 43. John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, When I was 17 years old, uh, I was sent by my school to Cape Town for a conference Um, This was terribly exciting for me. I had never been on an aeroplane before in my life, Uh, never just hopping across the channel, let alone going down to the far end of another continent. Uh, Towards the end of the trip there, we had a special evening where we were taken out to a nice restaurant further down the Cape. The menu was filled with various reptiles that you'd normally spend money to see in a zoo rather than to see in a kitchen, but that's what was on the menu, so that's what we ordered. No sooner had my main course arrived, though, than a cry came out from the balcony at the other end of this restaurant. Somebody said, come, come, you've got to come and see this. Well, I was torn because my crocodile steak was still snapping on my plate and it seemed very appealing, but, well, the call was compelling. So up I went out to the balcony and I'm glad that I did. We were right on the coast and curving around just beyond us was the Cape of Good Hope and behind it, this deep red sun was setting, just bathing this whole area in this glorious light. It was, it remains, the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. And I was glad that I let my dinner go cold that evening. Well, look, that's my come and see story. I'm sure that you will have a come and see story of your own. It's that thing where you've been called to drop whatever it is that you're focused on, to shift your attention towards something new, something exciting, something better than before. And that's the gist of our Bible reading this evening. This is Nathaniel's come-and-see story. Not a sunset for him, not some great scene in creation. 
It's a person. In fact, it's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, This evening, we're going with Nathaniel to meet Jesus. And we're hearing tonight that same invitation that he heard. It is simply this, come and see. Uh, We've got three points to pull out of this little passage as we go through it this evening. Here's the first of them. The news of Jesus changes our lives. The news of Jesus changes our lives. Uh, The story so far in John chapter 1 is of Jesus gathering followers. Uh, John the Baptist testifies to Jesus. He says famously, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Andrew hears this testimony and starts following Jesus. And then Andrew goes to his brother Simon, who also starts following Jesus. And then Simon becomes Simon Peter. He's one of the key figures of the early church. What's been going on at the start of John's Gospel has been this contagious spreading of a message. It's that breaking news alert that pops up on your screen. It's the the WhatsApp messages that start pinging on your phone. It's the word of mouth passing from person to person of good news. And in its wake, this good news about Jesus is leaving transformed lives. Where we pick up the story in verse 43, the news is spreading again. This time it's Jesus himself who's doing the recruiting. Though it's a fairly short sermon, it takes just two words. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip does, almost immediately. Uh, And as with Andrew before him, Philip becomes an evangelist too. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now to worries, this might sound like a slightly prosaic collection of Christian jargon words, but to Nathanael's ears, this is at once the most remarkable thing he's ever heard and the most absurd thing he has ever heard. Uh, The law and the prophets is kind of a shorthand for the Old Testament, uh, what Philip and Nathaniel would have known as the scriptures. God had promised to raise up from Israel a Messiah, God's anointed, who would speak with truth and who would act with justice and who would mediate with God and who would save from sin and who would rule with power and much else besides. Every Israelite was waiting for this coming Christ, which the scriptures had told them to expect. And then Philip says, we found him. Well, how does Nathaniel respond to this extraordinary claim? I really appreciate Nathaniel's response here. I'm really glad that this is in the Bible for us to read today. Because it seems so common. It feels so contemporary. Nathaniel's response to these claims about Jesus are a kind of toxic combination of snobbery and of skepticism. 
Uh, So Nathaniel the snob betrays himself in verse 46. Uh, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Uh, We learn later that Nathaniel's from Cana in Galilee. Uh, Here he's indulging in a bit of local rivalry. Uh, I used to live within earshot of the Emirates Stadium in North London, and no match was louder than the North London derby. This is Nathaniel the Arsenal fan, who just can't believe that anything good can come from West Ham. Or or this is, I don't know, it's Cambridge and Anglia Ruskin. It's it's Little Shelford and Sawston. I, I don't know what it is for you, but there's a kind of a local rivalry going on. He's a snob, and he he scoffs at the thought that God's great gift to the world, God's long-promised Messiah, could look like an insignificant man from an insignificant place. And so he's not just a snob, he's also a skeptic. He can't imagine that God would work through something or someone that seems small and, and weak. Met with this claim about Jesus, his instinct is to dismiss it. And we encounter that kind of thinking today, don't we? To seemingly sophisticated people, the idea that God's salvation could come to us clothed in frail flesh as a baby born in a manger, it seems absurd, doesn't it? The idea that a a withered, a beaten figure hanging on a cross could be God's means of salvation of the world, it seems ridiculous. But in the kingdom of God, things are always this way around. The Apostle Paul has it in 1 Corinthians 1. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Uh, Tim Keller spent his ministerial uh, career, if you like, in New York, ministering to skeptics there. He learned from hard experience that it is in the nature of the Christian faith to look weak in the eyes of the world. He says, Christianity was from Nazareth then, and it is still from Nazareth today. This is the shape of the gospel. If we're going to receive Jesus as good news today, we must learn to lose our snobbery and our skepticism about him and his followers. But on the other hand, if we're going to point people to Jesus today, well, we must expect snobbery, skepticism to come our way. I find it striking that Philip here, the evangelist, doesn't try very hard to persuade Nathaniel. He doesn't have any knockdown arguments at his disposal. I read a brilliant line in a commentary on this passage. The author observed that each time we see Philip in John's Gospel, I quote, he seems somewhat out of his depth, and it is probable that he was of limited ability. Well, I think that's overly harsh on Philip. He's only been a Christian for about five minutes at this point in John's gospel. But look, he's already off impulsively telling his friend about Jesus, isn't he? Some people are confessing Christians for decades and don't reach a level of spiritual maturity where they go out and share their faith with others. 
Actually, I'm encouraged by Philip's example here. I'm deeply encouraged by it. Because this limited ability disciple is introducing his friend to his Lord and Saviour. And if the means that he uses to do it seem unimpressive to us, well, I wonder if that's precisely the point we're meant to take from it. Jesus calls Philip with just two words, follow me. Philip invites Nathaniel with just three words, come and see. Met with snobbery, met with skepticism. Isn't this the perfect response? Come and see. Philip proves to be an effective evangelist because, well, like John the Baptist, he isn't preaching himself at all. It's a great model for us speaking of Jesus today. No wise words needed, no clever arguments necessary. All Philip knows is that the news about Jesus has changed his life. And he trusts it has the power to change Nathaniel's life too. So then the news of Jesus changes our lives. Secondly here, we see that the words of Jesus change our lives. The invitation has gone out, come and see. So Nathaniel goes and he meets Jesus. Here's the story from verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus confronts Nathaniel with two very loaded comments. Taken together, they demonstrate his supernatural, his divine attributes. The first comment shows that Jesus is all-knowing. He's able to see into Nathaniel's heart to make a spiritual value judgment of it. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus is being clever here. Jacob was one of the Old Testament patriarchs. He was notoriously deceitful. He's a swindler and a cheat. But God met him and changed him and eventually gave him the new name Israel. He went on to father the 12 tribes of the nation that would follow from him. Many people in his day approached Jesus with deceitful motives, with hidden agendas. But here Jesus affirms the state of Nathanael's heart as he comes to see. Nathanael approaches Jesus as an Israelite ought to, having heard of him promised in the law and the prophets. Snobbish and sceptical, yes, to begin with. But invited to come and see Jesus, he does so with an open heart and an open mind. And that's a challenge for the sceptic about Jesus today. Are you willing to abandon your existing ideas about Jesus if you find that the evidence about Jesus stands against them? It's a challenge for the would-be Phillips among us as well. Do you believe that Jesus can win your friends' hearts to him? Nathaniel replies to Jesus, verse 48, how do you know me? And Jesus then responds with the second of his supernatural revelations. He says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. 
Jesus knows who Nathanael is, knows where Nathanael has been. He's been under a fig tree. Probably that is a place of learning or of meditation. It's quite common in the ancient world for people to sit under trees as places to study or to pray personally. So Nathaniel the snob and the skeptic turns out also to be Nathaniel the seeker. Nathaniel's shocked to discover that while he's been sitting under a tree pondering the meaning of life, the answer to all of his biggest questions has been walking past. His limited ability friend has found the answers before him. But for Nathaniel, there's no mistaking what happens when he comes face to face with Jesus. He meets the one who truly knows him for who he really is. The one who knows him spiritually, knows him supernaturally. The Lord Jesus cuts through the veneers that we present to the world. He slices through our cynicism. He sees our searching hearts and he invites us to come to him. It can be a frightening thing to come and see Jesus because he exposes us with all of our frailty and our failings and our sin. But it is truly comforting to come to Jesus because he sees into our hearts and he speaks words to us which truly change our lives. I happen to be doing some reading at the moment around St. Augustine for my studies. Before he was a bishop in Hippo, Augustine was a tearaway teenager in North Africa and then a kind of conflicted cult member in Milan. It was there in Milan, aged 31, that he was sitting one day under a fig tree. He heard a child's voice call out from the nearby house saying, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it. Uh, He had a book of Paul's letters nearby. So he opened it and started to read. He read two verses from Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That was it for Augustine. It was two words for Philip. It's two verses for St. Augustine. That was all it took. He was converted. Famously, Augustine had once prayed, give me chastity and self-restraint, but don't do it just yet. Well, now he was a man transformed, convicted of his former sin, committed to following Jesus, changed by the news and the words of Jesus in the Bible. Augustine, I think, tells us about his fig tree as a deliberate echo of Nathaniel's fig tree here in this passage. And the point is a powerful one. That the words of Jesus change our lives in just the same way today as they did in the time of Jesus and the apostles. For us today, when we issue an invitation to come and see Jesus, very often it will mean 
take it up and read. As the people we know are sitting under their metaphorical fig trees, wherever that is, uh, snobbish, sceptical maybe, but searching spiritually, they may not see Jesus walking past physically in front of them. But we have within our reach the word of God, these words of life that he's given to us in the Bible. Countless people through the ages have found that as they have come and seen Jesus in the pages of the Bible, he's changed their lives. And I'm sure that'll be true for many of us here in this room this evening. I wonder for some if there's an invitation tonight then to take it up and read it. Maybe to go home and read through the rest of John's gospel. It'll take an hour and a half, maybe, if that's something you haven't done before or haven't done in a while. It's a good place to start. And maybe for others here, there's a reminder that these words of Jesus remain living and active. They have the power to go on changing our lives and the lives of those whom we invite to hear them. So keep on taking it up, keep on passing it on. Well, we've seen that the news of Jesus changes our lives, that the words of Jesus change our lives. Finally, briefly, the work of Jesus changes our lives. And here we're looking down from verse 49 to the end of the chapter. This is the culmination of that great theme of Israel and Jacob that runs through this entire encounter with Nathanael. Jesus saw that Nathanael was truly an Israelite who was not like Jacob with his deceptions and his scheming. Well, now having seen what he has seen and heard what he has heard, Nathanael makes an even bolder claim about Jesus in reverse. He says in verse 49, You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Those are titles for Jesus which speak to his unique identity. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is often spoken of as God's son. And more specifically, there was a king promised who would come from the royal line of David, who the Lord spoke of specifically as his son. He would be the savior, the rescuer, the messiah. What Nathaniel sees here is that the fulfillment of all the expectation of Israel and of its king have now come together in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the true Israel. And all those who follow him are, like Nathaniel, truly an Israelite, as they have him as the king and head of the family that he calls them into. The pennies dropped for Nathaniel. He's come and seen Jesus for who he really is. But to grasp the true significance of this, we must give the final word to Jesus himself there in verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus promises Nathanael that he will see greater things than trivia about fig trees. But the promise that he makes to Nathanael in verse 51 is, is actually a promise for all of us. The you in that verse is plural, 
That means that it's for us today, for anyone who will listen to it. He says each of us will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending, descending on the Son of Man. The image is the one that we heard Chloe read to us from Genesis earlier in the service. It's of a dream that Jacob had one night. He saw God up in heaven. He was there on earth. And he saw a kind of ladder or a stairway between the two. Angels coming up and down it. Jesus takes that image and transforms it and fulfills it. Now, Jesus says, there is a connection between heaven and earth that wasn't there before. There's a new link between God and humankind. Not a ladder now, but a person. Jesus, the Son of Man, is that lasting link between us and God. Nathaniel will appear again in John's Gospel towards the end of it, gathered among the believers. He'll be a witness to the death of Jesus and to his resurrection. As the Lord Jesus dies and is raised, Nathaniel will see those greater things come to pass before his very eyes. He will see through the cross and through the empty tomb that a living way between us and God has been opened. Access is open. To come and see Jesus is not just to meet a wise man who knows which trees we've been sitting under. No, it is to meet God himself in the person of his son. And nothing will change your life more radically than that. This news of Jesus, these words of Jesus, this work of Jesus, the invitation is there and it is open. So the question for us tonight is simply this. Will you come and see as Nathaniel did? The promise that Jesus makes tonight is that if you do, you will see greater things than you can yet imagine. And with that in mind, let me pray for us. Almighty God, whose only Son has opened for us a new and living way into your presence. Give us pure hearts and steadfast wills to worship you in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.